Welcome to Meetings with Remarkable Educators. This podcast is brought to you in part by you, our friends and supporters at patreon.com slash remarkable educators. Each podcast is a dialogue between me, Ba Lovemore, and an educator who sees the greatness in their students and touches the whole of their being. These educators defy generalizations, so here's a little bit about what they've done and how I know them. You have to admit, it would be weird to interview my wife of 40 years about her life as a remarkable educator. To do so might take, well, a significant part of 40 years. In that time, we've co-created natural learning relationships, the first holistic appreciation of child development. We rode the roller coaster of success and failure, and failure and success, while parenting, foster parenting, teaching natural learning relationships, interns, and laughing and loving. Intimately, we have worked together, leading hundreds of seminars, rites of passage, teacher training, parent support consultations, and 26 consecutive years of whole family immersion programs. Then, I was there, doing the wash, reading rough drafts, dialoguing about parents, educators, children, while she compiled and completed her brilliant book, Grow Together, Parenting as a Path of Well-Being, Wisdom, and Joy. I have to stop. You can see why another interviewer is necessary. Fortunately, a man who I am coming to see as woven into the very fabric of holistic education, Paul Friedman, head of Salmonberry School on Orcas Island, Washington, and featured guest on Podcast 4, agreed to step in. One of my jobs is to listen to each podcast and note necessary changes so that Dimitri, our sound engineer, can fix. Here's how great this podcast is. I didn't have to make any notes at all. Enjoy. The podcast brims to overflow with great information. Josette Lovemore, PhD, is a developmental consultant, educator, author, and public speaker. She specializes in the field of human development, adult transformational learning, sustainable family relationships, and how adult and child grow together. She enjoys teaching educators at Self-Design Graduate Institute. Over the years, Josette has delighted in sharing her expertise, knowledge, and understanding with adults, family groups, and professionals seeking to deepen self-awareness, enliven optimal well-being, and develop access to innate wisdom. She's the principal producer of this popular podcast series, Meetings with Remarkable Educator. Josette has authored five ebooks and six print books, including Grow Together Parenting as a Path to Wellbeing, Wisdom, and Joy, as well as articles that focus on relationships with children. Grow Together has earned the Mom's Choice Award and is a finalist for the Forward Indies Book of the Year Award. Together with her husband and collaborator, Ba Lovemore, Josette co-created and developed natural learning relationships, 
a whole child understanding of child development that supports optimal well-being in children and families. They have studied and explored consciousness since they met in 1979 and, been, and have been using natural learning relationships with children, families, and educators in programs and with schools since the 1980s. They have been instrumental in reinstituting rites of passage in contemporary culture. Josette and Ba are advisors to public and private schools as well as authors specializing in whole child development, education, and family dynamics. They live, work, and play together in Portland, Oregon, and are very close to their children and grandchildren. I am so excited to have this conversation with you and to have the opportunity. Um, huge gratitude to all the folks at meetings with Remarkable Educators for giving me the chance to um, have this intimate dialogue with you, Josette. Um, so we'll just dive right in. Um, well, thank you. Yeah, it's my I'm grateful pleasure. too. Yeah. <laughs> it's really it's really nice that you offered to be the person who interviewed me. Yeah, well, I I suspected that it might be a little awkward for for Ba to be your interviewer and um I'm delighted to stand in his large shoes today. <laughs> <laughs> um so we've known each other for for going on a decade, I imagine. Um and I tell you from my from my perspective uh, I knew of your work before we met in person and knew that you were someone deeply committed to um, both understand and help elucidate what happens uh, over the course of child development um, from birth to adulthood. And I had read some of your work and, um, you know, used it in my, in my teaching and in my parenting um, and then, fairly early on in our relationship, from my perspective, what seemed to happen, and I'm wondering if this is actually what happened, is something of, of sort of metaphorically you picked your head up and noticed, oh, while children are developing, someone else is in, in the room, so to speak, <laughs> you know, and, and us adults who are, you know, so attentively trying to nurture um, children and their healthy development, we're not objective, distant participants. We're intimately all in. And something happens within us too. I, I wonder if that's at all accurate, if that was sort of a, a sudden realization light bulb, or what happened that led you to focus your work on adult development? Well, it's really interesting that you bring this up. I think the first time um, we started interacting was when um, you were holding a conference up up at um, Salmonberry School, and you had invited me to come and speak up there to your teachers and to your parents, and I accepted. And um, it's been rolling ever since. But um, 
Our work with natural learning relationships preceded my work in adult development for um, a number of years. I can't even remember how many, but a long time. Mm -hmm. And we held whole family immersion programs um, as part of um, a lot of the ways that we worked with parents and families. And people would come. We had a land-based center in California at the time. And people would come to the land-based center for three days, four days, or uh, seven days, up to seven-day immersion programs. And... uh, During those programs, we would teach families how to use child development in daily life with their children, how to nurture their children's developmental needs as a part of everyday experiences, not something special that you just think about sometimes. And the way those programs worked is we held um, cooperative activities where we played with children, and then we would hold um, educational sessions where we talked about what we had all observed, and we ate meals together, and we just played together um, the whole day. Mm -hmm. And people who actually took it to heart and applied these understandings and developmental principles in their daily lives, I began to see over time that... um, it wasn't just the children that was changing, but that something was happening for the adults as well. And we began to notice that adult and child, you know, adults develop in a different way, but adult and child were developing together. Mm-hmm. So um, as I went back to graduate school, I decided to um, take a look more closely at what was happening for the adults. And so I studied adult development and I um, worked strongly with um, looking at parents who had been in our programs for five years, 10 years down the line, what was happening for them? And in my um, dissertation research, I began to um, understand that something very, very interesting was happening for the adults. And I thought I was seeing... um, an integration of cognitive and emotional development, mm-hmm. which is um, something that uh, I thought the research was showing me. But one, my mentor at the time, who was um, Dr. Judy Stevens-Long, where I was doing my research, mm-hmm. um, pointed out to me that actually uh, there was a lot of wisdom that was beginning to occur in the adults who were working with children and being with children in these developmentally appropriate ways. Great. I'm going to interrupt you for just a second, and I do want to get into wisdom because I think it's um, such a uh, mysterious and yet powerful concept that we use in our language, and do we really understand what we mean by wisdom? Um, And uh, so important and, and interesting that it that it emerged unexpectedly when you were looking at adults who were parenting mindfully and thoughtfully. Um, when, um, so you're working with children and adults together and you notice that, um, not only the adults are, I'm sorry, not only the children are, growing and changing the adult something is happening with the adults as well and you mentioned that adult development happens a little differently maybe before we get into wisdom which i'd love to do next 
Can we talk a little bit about that process of adult development? You and I share this um, amazing thing, which is we were both parents, and that parenting process was transformative for each of us. And maybe we'll talk about that a little bit too. But after doing your research, how does that work? What happens exactly? Or is it continuing to be enigmatic? You know, is it just mystical, magical stuff that happens when you're no. a parent with child? What what goes on? How does that development happen? Well, what I began to notice in the parents who really took it to heart and made made real um, effort to learn about child, you know, let me back up a second. Most parents came to many of our programs initially because, uh, in their view, something was wrong in the family or something disconcerting was happening with the child. Right. Some communication had gone out. Something or something was uh, not happening the way they wanted it to happen. Mm -hmm. And that's the initial stimulus that oftentimes would bring people to learn about child development, to learn something new. And out of that learning something new, then there comes a point where you just have to start practicing it and playing with it and making it work in your family. So even though the developmental information was something that we would share, Every family is unique, so you have to adapt it and utilize it in, in a family situation that works for you. And as parents started doing that, sooner or later, they began to realize that they came up against their own childhood, um, you could call it conditioning, you can call it programs, their own way that they were parented. Right. And they would call that the norm right. or some social standard that people would call the norm. And that norm... Um, began to be challenged by the needs of the child in front of us. There were developmental needs that this child was was um, expressing or showing a need for, and the adult would come smack up against some childhood program or maybe even an unresolved issue from when they were children. I remember parents saying to me, well, um, you know, I can really see my child needs um, this uh, sense of trust and fairness and justice and caring and these um, very specific developmental nourishments for trust to development. But I have to tell you, I did not get those things when I was a child. Mm -hmm. And there's two ways a parent can go. They can back up and say, well, you know, I never got it and I'm just fine and um, I think my child will do fine and figure it out on their own. That's one way of going about it. And then there's the parent who will say, you know, I, I really didn't necessarily think I had the best childhood in the world, or I think I can improve on what I received, even if it was pretty good. And I'm going to go ahead and make the intentional effort to do things differently. And that willingness to do things differently, to engage the unknown, to venture into territory that's new with their child and meet their child with the needs that the child was showing them was necessary, inevitably leads to a self-questioning. Uh -huh. You know, a, a kind of, you, you kind of observe, observe the things that are coming out of your mouth where you start saying to yourself, gosh, 
that just came out of my mouth, and I thought right. I never thought I would say that to my child. Have you had that experience? Yeah, isn't that universal? It's like, who am I, I becoming? I'm my I'm my dad. I'm my mom. Yeah, and that I certainly happened to me too. Or something comes out of my mouth, it's like, holy cow! I never thought I'd say that. Right. And then you back up a second, you say, you know, let me reflect on that. Let me reflect on where that's coming from and how I. And, and let me do some self-inquiry here and question myself as to, you know, what do I want to bring forward? Do I really want to make that part of my child's future? Mm-hmm. One, one woman, the way she put it to me, she said, um, I had to think to myself, am I going to take my story and make it my child's story? Mm-hmm. And that's when I decided, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to move forward with understanding there's a better way to do this. And that that kind of self-observation and then reflection and then really questioning ourselves of what we're ready to go forward with, that is the pivotal point. That's the key turning point for the adult to engage something new and enter new territory with their children. Right. And, and so that that aspect, that pivotal point is sort of a cognitive awakening of, you know, you realize you self-realization and, and where have I been and where is my child going and, and, you know, that I have a role to play and, and, uh, not just perpetuating patterns that, that were given to me, but I can make a difference seems to be a cognitive shift. I know also, you know, concurrent with, or maybe in advance of, or at some point during that sort of cognitive awakening comes this just profound emotional, um, awareness Mm -hmm. and attachment that you just feel when you're with your child, when you're with your infant and then throughout the different miraculous stages of development, right? Like I know that your work Mm -hmm. um, talks a lot about the integration of both cognitive and emotional, and then Mm -hmm. we're moving towards wisdom, I think. Mm -hmm. Well, that originally is why I started thinking that what I was seeing was an integration between cognitive and emotional development. You know, as we we begin to self-observe, that's an internal process, and even self-reflection is an internal process. Um, and you're right, it is, it is cognitive, but we differentiate we, through that process. We start to differentiate ourselves from our past right. and, and, and the past takes on a new order. In other words, um, my relationship with my past, uh, the charges or the energy I have associated with that starts to change. And that differentiation from the past starts to move us forward into seeing ourselves in a new way, seeing our children in a new way. And our view of ourselves, our view of the world starts to shift and change. And with that comes emotional changes. Mm -hmm. So Cognitive development in in the adult often stimulates emotional development and feeds into emotional development. Feelings of trust start to grow for ourselves, for our children, and for others in our lives. And that emotional development inevitably stimulates new perspectives in life and cognitive development again. So cognitive development and emotional development do feed back and forth to each other in adult development, especially when we conscientiously are willing to engage um, children in in a relational way to what is the developmental need that this child is expressing here. 
Right. That is so beautifully said and mirrors my own experience exactly. And, um, you know, in some ways for me, the, the sort of cognitive, wow, this is a big responsibility awakening happened even before birth. You know, you realize you're going to have a child and what an awesome responsibility that is if you take it seriously. And mm-hmm. then the just awe and wonder of, of infancy as, as a loving parent and what that does to you, the first touch and the first, um, smile and and all those Mm -hmm. things you know just changes your being Mm -hmm. and then leads you to reflect it exactly as you said so i find that whole uh focus of your work to be um unique first of all at least in my awareness in the field you know as an educator, I'd read a lot of child psychology and child development and at least all the popular theorists of the last hundred years, even those that talked about relationship as important to child development, truly neglected. I mean, I, th- I think it's a huge hole in the history of holistic education, progressive education, is noticing, um, again, quote, the other person in the room, the adult who is profoundly developing as well. So just huge um, gratitude to you for calling our collective attention to that. I mean, you know, as when we start to parent, we, we have a good 40, 50 years of life left and, um, and that there are development op- developmental opportunities in right in front of us is um is an amazing thing to have ignored <laughs> you know <laughs> well i don't think i don't think i don't know if we've ignored it or just nobody's ever observed it in um the parent child relationship mm-hmm. um and it was just became so obvious to me in helping people integrate um the natural learning relationships or nurturing children with natural learning relationships. Um, And the thing that you just said that's so beautiful is what awakened in you with the birth of your child was a motivation out of love for the child. And um, many parents, out of that motivation of pure love, want to do more than what they received as children. And that stimulates that emotional development that starts to stimulate, be stimulated in the adult. We could even call empathy, that feeling into the feelings of our child just blossoms and grows. And as ch- parents learn more about child development, they feel um, a trust for their children, and they feel into their um, the way their child views the world, and understanding not to impose on the child the adult's worldview, but rather that the adult has within us our capability to feel into the feelings of the child. And that is a huge heart opener. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in adult development, that empathy, I think it's been noted in many fields that um, that ability to feel into the feelings from within ourselves, uh, uh, feel into the feelings of the other from within ourselves is a huge motivator for shift and change in relationship to our children. At the end of each school year at Salmonberry School, we participate in some ritual closing activities with the students. At one part of our closing ritual with our grades four through six, we have a circle, and in the circle, uh, we speak to each other from our hearts. Sometimes I use that quiet opportunity with the children in a circle, 
and a concentric ring of parents and loved ones around us to tell this story. This story came to me represented as a folktale from Tibet, but in looking for it online, I haven't been able to verify that, and in fact have discovered a 27-word poem by a poet named Christopher Logue, which was published in 1969, which I think is either the pirating of an old folktale, or else might have been the inspiration. Anyway, here's the story. Once there was a wise teacher. He spent a very special year working with his students. Every day, the students would dutifully enter the classroom and engage with the teacher on all sorts of subjects. But always the wise teacher seemed to come back to what he called the big questions. Who are you? Why are you here? Where are you going? And what will you do when you arrive? Slowly the year passed. In one of the melancholy mornings as the year was drawing to a close, the students dutifully entered, as always, and came to sit down. The wise teacher surprised his students by saying, wait, don't sit down today. We are going on a walk. A walk, objected some of the students, but there's still more to learn. We, we don't have time for a walk. I haven't the proper shoes, said another. I didn't bring a coat. I'll be cold. Where will we go? When will we return? Calmly, the teacher reassured his students. Think back on our work together this year. Have I ever harmed you? Have I ever put you in danger? Do you trust me? It got quiet and the students reflected to themselves. They did deeply trust the teacher, so off they sat on a walk. Turned out to be a long walk. The dirt road twisted and turned and then narrowed. But the teacher, followed by his students, continued in silence. Until, after several hours, again, one of the students complained, I'm getting tired. I'm hungry, said another. How much farther? The wise teacher calmly reassured them. Think back on our year together. Have I ever harmed you or put you in danger? Do you trust me? And they continued in silence. The road became a path. The path started to incline. The path became a trail and got steeper and narrower still. Eventually, the group found themselves walking along a single-file goat trail along a rocky precipice. The path seemed to cling almost unnaturally to the side of a sheer cliff, and the teacher proceeded to a stone outcropping. I'm frightened, said one of the students. I, I can't go any further. And others agreed. We won't follow you anymore. Calmly, the teacher looked back and reassured his students. Reflect on our year together. Have I ever harmed you or put you in danger? Do you trust me? So one by one, the students inched forward toward the outcropping where the teacher stood overlooking the vast abyss. And one by one, the teacher pushed them off the cliff. 
and one by one, they flew. The original poem, um, what I think is the original poem by Christopher Logue, goes like this. Come to the edge. We might fall. Come to the edge. It's too high. Come to the edge. And they came. And he pushed. And they flew. Let's have some fun interpreting this teaching story. Become a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash remarkableeducators, and you have access to our detailed comments on how this story applies to education and parenting. Of course, that's just our perspective. The fun comes with community dialogue as the many shades of the teaching story come alive. See you there. So let's go back to wisdom where you were trying to lead us. Um, so, so one question that arises for me is, so we have increased um, cognitive awareness. We have sort of heightened emotional um, stimulation and presence in, in, with our children. And time passes and we perhaps make discoveries and tons of mistakes as as parents and educators, I will throw us in there too, as people nurturing children in their development. And eventually, with the integration of the emotional um, growth and the cognitive awarenesses um, and decisions to parent or educate with those developmental imperatives in mind, something sort of miraculous happens that, that from reading your work perhaps we call the emergence of wisdom. So talk to us a little bit about that. What do you mean by wisdom? Is it, um, how does that happen? It's a, that's an enormous topic. And um, <laughs> uh, first, let me back up one second and sure. say, I really appreciate that you brought forward that teachers change when teachers take on um, nurturing children in the classroom or creating classrooms that are developmentally appropriate, creating curriculum, um, developmentally keeping the developmental ages and stages of the children in mind and um, creating curriculum that matches and meets kids where they are in their development. Um, and what starts to happen is each of the developmental stages has specific um, ways to nurture what's organizing in that developmental stage. So for example, I think everybody can relate to um, the first developmental stage or below the age of seven where children need a lot of loving touch and a lot of sensory exploration, security and warmth and the nourishment of being flexible and all these kinds of um, developmental needs that are in the environment. As the adult nurtures those needs with the um, right relationships, then the adult also organizes a deeper sense of relationship to place in the world or courage or personal strength. And parents who continued to do that with children started to notice that they were accessing a relationship to um, being of service, 
um, not with resentment, but be, we might call it even compassionate action for the benefit of others started to appear. Mm-hmm. And as, as parents are, are nurturing the needs of children, let's say between the ages of 8 and 12, they're starting to realize that their nurturing has to change to becoming more feeling mentors and things like fairness and honesty and justice and adventure starts to become really important to nurturing that child's sense of trust. Well, as the parent starts providing these things, they start realizing that trust in themselves grow, grows deeper and, and um, more connected with the child, a sense of empathy, as I said before, mm-hmm. and emotional complexity with things like honesty and humility and a greater emotional connection started to emerge in adults. So those just two of the developmental stages. So one of the things I would say is what starts to happen for adults who are really willing to engage not only nurturing their children but um, reflecting in themselves is a sense of well-being starts to emerge. Mm-hmm. And that well-being starts to look like being more open-minded and being more um, fair and feeling a, a deeper sense of connection with others. Um, deeper insights uh, start to appear about ourselves and with others because the more we know about ourselves, of course, the more that we know about the whole human race. And so from from that sense of self-acceptance and courage and personal strength, a deeper resilience started to appear. These are all aspects of well-being that people might, when I did my research, parents were talking to me about what they were experiencing. And it's in a state of well-being or feeling really good about ourselves, our relationships, our connection with our children is flourishing. From that emerges a sense of um, inner knowing Mm. where we are being in relationship with children from a, you might even call it a wisdom-based relationship, where their developmental moment is met by us from our um, connection to them and ability to supply them with their needs. There's a a momentary, uh, maybe more than a momentary, but there's a deep, um, the wisdom in us is meeting the wisdom in them. There's an inner knowing inside of ourselves where our sensory, emotional, physical, intellectual, all parts of ourselves are working together. And there's a a hum where you might say there's a yes moment where Mm -hmm. every part of us knows, yes, this is right. And is that, is that sense that, that, um, exactly as you describe, is that what we might call the arrival or emergence of wisdom? Would you say it sounds like that to you? It does. It does to me too. (laughs) (laughs) And isn't that so, you know, what our culture, what our world needs is is adults who um, are reaching towards wisdom and not just material quote, success, right? Oh, yeah. Sorely I, lacking. Well, you know, in in the field of adult development, there's a trajectory toward to adult development, and it's toward, the trajectory is toward wisdom. And the way I define it in my book is that it is right actions 
that is according to the context of a person's current developmental moment in their life in relationship with the environment or the or the context um, that the person is within. So it provides us with opportunities to experience life, to learn, to grow, um, to actualize our individual and collective um, purpose and meaning. Mm-hmm. Right. And it seems like, you know, historically and through cross-culturally, there has been this sort of reverence for the wise elder and the expectation that with age, um, wisdom is ubiquitous, like it's coming. You, you, you know, you, you are present as a, as a sentient being um, for long enough on this planet and, and wisdom will be the outcome. And somehow in the modern age, and maybe it's for longer than that, we've lost access to wisdom. Um, what a relief that a mm-hmm. tool for uh, reconnecting with our potential for wisdom is right in front of us in the form of our children and our relationships with them. That's nicely said. I really appreciate that. I think a lot of times parenting is thought of, and even teaching sometimes is thought of as something we do for children. And we are interconnected creatures. We are we we know from the brain sciences now that our brains are connected with other brains, and so it, wisdom does not only just you know come just by aging. You you have to put in a little bit of effort, mm-hmm. and the relationship with one another especially with children, is one of those places where um, there's enormous opportunity to engage and grow. Um, Can we perhaps, thank you so much, really insightful and beautifully articulated. Can I I ask, can I I offer a description of wisdom that one of the parents who I was speaking with, this was her description and I just it's in the book but I I just think it's just perfect Please. the most beautiful um, she said um, I trust that there's a wisdom in every interaction and that if I can sit back and let that wisdom emerge it will take us where we need to go mm. she went on to say wisdom is a knowing and it's not the kind of knowing I get from my head and my intellect though my intellect gets to contribute. And it's not the kind of knowing I get from my heart and emotions, though my feelings get to contribute. Mm -hmm. And although there is a spiritual component, it is not a spiritual knowing. There's a wholeness to wisdom that incorporates all of those kinds of knowing. My uh, wisdom is generally very simple. There's a rightness to it. Mm. Not a wrong right type of rightness. There's just an isness. I can tell it's wisdom by how I feel. There's no struggle in wisdom. There may be a struggle getting there, but one of the ways I know I'm in wisdom is by its simplicity, its wholeness, its rightness. I have a certain peace in wisdom. And I just thought that's a beautiful definition that kind of sums it up nicely. Beautiful, elegant, yeah. Poetic. (laughs) I thought Um, Lovely. So, um, yeah, and again, you know, my heart is imagining the world where on many levels our parents, our educators, our leaders, our um, 
on a trajectory towards wisdom, as you say, and what a different uh, world we might create for our young people and with our young people. Um, yeah. Let's, if it's okay with you, um, shift attention a little bit to the school settings. I know not all of your work, but some of your work is with teachers and um, helping with professional development in school settings. Mm-hmm. And um, again, in rereading your book in anticipation of this conversation, um, I came across this lovely phrase or sentence you wrote, which says, we are swimming in an invisible ocean of relationships with our mm-hmm. students. Mm-hmm. Um, and so beautiful. And and so if that were how we viewed what education is about, what are the implications of that? How does that change the mission of, um, of schooling? Or any other thoughts you'd like to share about your work in the institution of education? I love I love the way you said that we're swimming or the way I guess I said that right. we're, <laughs> we're swimming in the ocean of relationships. There's nothing other happening. Children are uh, below consciousness. We could even say they're reading us all the time. They're di- they're taking in who we are, our attitudes, our facial expressions, our tone of voice. These are these are ways that we receive each other's internal um, condition non-verbally. Some people call it tacit knowing. It's a way of knowing without words what's happening inside the other. And we're reading each other all the time. So as teachers in the classroom, the relationship with the students has to be respectful of what that child is capable of understanding developmentally. So the the relationship being developmentally appropriate, the language we use being developmentally appropriate, and the curriculum being relational to the student's interests in many ways is what holistic education is all about. Mm -hmm. It is emerging with the interests of the child. And I understand, of course, there are certain things that have to be taught or can be learned at different ages when the window is open. But being with the child and finding ways to work with the interests of the child almost invariably leads to a better relationship for learning to occur. Mm-hmm. And I imagine as, I mean, you're probably called in to consult with with school communities who on some level are already, quote, getting it, you know, they, but mm-hmm. it might be like the parents, analogous to the parents you referred to earlier, who sense there's something wrong, something amiss, not optimal, and can't put their finger on what that is. How do you, how have you found educators specifically um, receive uh, your guidance or suggestions about relationship-based teaching? Um, well, different communities react differently. Yeah, <laughs> of course, of course. Sure. But um, is this it just? It strike. I bring it up because it strikes me that it is. It is in opposition to what we are trained to do as teachers. It is not, mm. teacher training and teacher development does not emphasize relationship, which is an understatement, of course. It's about performance and management and assessment and documenting skill acquisition. 
There's no relationship in that model. Um, Which is really interesting because everything you just said is nothing but relationship. Right. You would hope. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, you know, who who does the child uh, perform or not perform, but work best with is the person who can really relate to them. I was just talking to a a colleague of mine the other day and she said her students respond most to her because she listens. Mm-hmm. And they say to her that she listens, that that's something they really notice about her. So when I'm working or called into a school, I'm, I'm not telling them what they're doing wrong. I let them figure that out for themselves. I offer the information and, you know, this is develop, this is human development. You know, I'm not making this up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm, t- I'm, I'm kind of uh, relaying the laws of nature in a certain kind of way that make it very easy to access. And there are aha moments that will occur for teachers where they realize themselves ways that they could up-level their own teaching practice. Mm-hmm. At least the best teachers are always looking for ways to improve and grow and re- and reach their children in a uh, or their students, rather, in a more um, authentic way, a deeper way, a more meaningful way. Um, and those teachers really blossom and grow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The teacher that is going to stick with what they received in, in their college courses, you know, it's a different, that's a different type of teacher that might not really uh, be willing to do things any differently. Mm-hmm. Right, and you know both are, both are true. Yeah, do you find uh, I'm in the, uh, in a position where I'm both um, hiring teaching faculty at my school and then trying to develop their practice? And um, sometimes I have a sense, I think, born out of just in, an intuitive uh, feeling that parenting was so profoundly important to me in being able to see the child see through their eyes, feel through their heart, as you write, mm-hmm. um, that those adults who have not yet had the um, transformational experience of parenting um, are challenged, might inherently be challenged to be uh, in the teaching or nurturing profession. Um, I don't know. It's just something I've wondered about. When I reflect back on my own beginning of my career as a teacher before parenthood i i now think what an arrogant <laughs> you know <laughs> a judgmental young teacher i was you know when i was <laughs> thinking why can't these parents just make this child behave and you know now i just have so much more as you say <laughs> empathy and and um compassion no <laughs> compassion exactly for for what it means to parent well that's um, an interesting question because uh I, parenting certainly does change us. And um, I think when I speak to a group of people, I'll ask the group, um, has anybody, is anybody the same as they were before they were parents? And nobody will raise their hand. Can you raise your hand if parenting has changed you in some significant way and everybody's hand goes up and then we start talking about in what ways has parenting changed you? Certainly, tremendously. But there are people who call, are called to the teaching profession who do incredible things um, out of the love for teaching. I know some teachers who 
one in particular I'm thinking of who knows that he will not have children. That's just his choice in life. And yet he really has the ability to stretch into his middle school students mm-hmm. and reach them in, a, in a, a, a beautiful way. A little side note, it's worth noting that this teacher learned to use natural learning relationships child development as a part of his teacher training. A large part of his success in creating relationships with his middle school students, by his own admission, was using natural learning relationships in his classroom and curriculum creation. So I, I do think, you know, we, we know that parenting changes us tremendously. And uh, those of us who take on parenting conscientiously, you know, in the ways that I've just talked about here today, but also teaching is the same thing. When we take teaching on conscientiously and we're willing to grow with our profession and grow beyond what we learned in our graduate schools and in our original um, courses that we took, that we continue to grow tremendously. But, you know, growth requires vulnerability mm-hmm. and it requires self-questioning. And um, not that's the, that's the where the rubber meets the road. Can I use that? Sure. Yeah, <laughs> Is that, yeah that's, that's the real, uh, the person who's really willing to take themselves on and say, you know, I just observed myself doing that, and I want to I want to see if there's another way to do it, and then actually go out and seek new information to learn how to do something differently, or uh, collectively work with their colleagues and discuss best practices that have worked for others, not disciplinary practices, but relationship practices that allow us to reach into really meeting a child where they are. Right. Yes, I appreciate that. And I, um, I have had plenty of encounters with, uh, beautiful teachers who get it, who understand the, the, um, you know, transformative potential of relationship-based education who are not yet parents or who mm-hmm. might never be parents. And, mm-hmm. and and I think that's true, but it does sometimes feel like the exception because there is something that um, just shifts within us as we, mm-hmm. as we parent. Um, this, uh, and, and I think we're running close to the end of time. So, and I want to give you a chance to bring forward whatever you feel is most, um, salient or that you think we neglected in our conversation. Um, and perhaps this will be edited out later, but I just have a question for you. Um, so I read a lot and I've been going back and reading some of my favorite texts. And, um, as I was rereading Grow Together, your beautiful book on, on all of this that we've been talking about, a relationship-based adult development, um, and particularly that quote that I said before about swimming in an invisible ocean of relationships, um, it led me back to Martin Buber. And mm-hmm. I don't know how much uh, his work influenced your understanding of, of humans and relationships, but I, I, was, I was like, what is it about that quote? I feel like I've almost read it before. And Buber wrote in like 1923 um, this, Inscrutably involved, we live in the currents of universal reciprocity. And again, he's talking about what he calls the ich-du, the I-thou right. relationship, and the idea that um, we either see ourselves and the world as self-object, 
you know, or this this other kind of being and the the effort to understand other and again feel through their hearts experience them viscerally mm-hmm. and and concretely but also with our whole being spiritually and emotionally um feels a lot like the underpinnings for natural learning relationships you know i think he nailed it about 100 years ago and <laughs> um and i wonder if that has spoken to you or if if I don't know. Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, yes. I've been strongly influenced by Martin Buber in his I-Thou approach to relationship. And I'm particularly influenced by the um, viewpoint that we are creating the the social world between us. in it, it's it's in the space between us in our communication where we are creating that um, social relationship and the treating the other as thou and not it, mm-hmm. and he put it so well, yes. um, is is entering a new sphere altogether where was where we're respecting the other as um, not just a part of ourselves but a part of the divine. Beautiful. Yeah, so, thank you for bringing that up. That's sure. a good question. <laughs> yeah. Um, so before we close, I just wanted to give you every opportunity to um, to say what's on your mind in, in what came up during our conversation or what you were hoping might come up during our conversation that we didn't quite get to. And and I just give you a moment to, to close us out with any messages or ideas that you'd like listeners to um, to hear before we say goodbye. That's really sweet. Well, first of all, I want to thank you because I feel like you've done an extremely good job. Thank you. <laughs> and, and, and I don't know that too much has been left out, but of course, you can't say everything that could be said. I think the one message I would hope that everyone listening to this would receive is that we are connected with children and our children and students are connected with us in invisible ways. We're not separate. And to reach into and be, uh, it's the right word, empathetic with children, feel into their feelings, see the world as they see it, and and work with children in ways that are um, connected, developmentally appropriate, um, and relational. It creates a better world for for them for sure, but for us as well. We're not doing this just for the kids. It's a whole systems approach. We're part of a whole system, all of us together. But thank you so much, Paul, for giving me that opportunity. Thank you, Dr. Josette Lovemore. It is my my sincere pleasure to have had this time with you. And um We'll have a cup of coffee sometime and continue. I look forward to it. (laughs) All All right. Thank you so much. Meetings with Remarkable Educators is brought to you in part by our friends and supporters on Patreon. If you enjoy our podcast and want access to enriching gifts for parents and educators, please visit Patreon at patreon.com slash remarkableeducators and consider becoming a patron. Your support means the world to us and will allow us to continue this essential project. 
Our sound engineer is Dimitri Young. Our webmaster is Nathan Young. And our all-important social media maven is Cleo Young. All podcasts are transcribed with show notes and can be found at remarkableeducators.com. That's remarkable-educators.com. This is Bob Lovemore reminding you that holistic relationships with children leads to joy and self-knowledge with the adults in their lives. With respect for you and for children everywhere, see you next time.